Welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast with me, Sean Anderson, the CEO of Media. This is the show where I bring to you stories from recruitment owners, leaders, managers all over the world who are prepared to tell us a bit more about their, their own individual story, the reasons why they why they do what they do. Sometimes I wonder why anyone would do what we do, but we do it. Um, and, uh, and more recently, we focused heavily on the coronavirus pandemic and how both the UK and Australia um, I've had different experiences, and now we can learn from each other. Not that I don't, I don't think many in the UK right now uh, can learn. Sorry, I don't think many in Australia need to learn a lot from us right now, but we're definitely enjoying it the other way around. Um, this morning, I'm live on LinkedIn Live with my co-host, Pete F45 Watson, the healthiest man in <laughs> Melbourne, apparently, according to his LinkedIn profile. Pete, good evening. How are you? I'm all right. I'm pumped. Pumps just looking, you're just looking fit as a fiddle, Pete. That, that's, that's what I describe you as. My dad used to always use that. Mate, it's just, it's just another silver lining from COVID. Um, Is it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think some. I mean, most most people in Victoria, we we walked, didn't we, Anton? We, we yeah, everybody walked true, yeah. through COVID, <laughs> and I just I, I sort of ran through COVID. So well, um, there you go. Lost a bit. Looking, looking lean, like it. Well, if you if you want to get a quick glimpse of what Pete's talking about, go on the Pete Watson LinkedIn page, and he's he's put a photo up in the gym today, looking uh, looking tip top. Um, and uh, and this morning we are both Pete and I. I know are delighted to be joined um, by Anton Rowe. Anton is the director at Marshall McAdam, um, originally from the UK. As far as I'm aware, he's, he's definitely got a bit of an Aussie twang now. Listen for it. Listen oh, for the mate, don't say that. Listen for the way his words go up at the end. I've it up already. Um, Anton is someone who I personally got to know over the, the, the UK summer, again, as part of the Hoxo Academy. Um, living in, he lives over in, in Victoria, has dealt with the extended lockdown, lockdown, and we're delighted to have him on, on board. So, Anton, welcome to the RAG podcast. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for uh, inviting me on welcome me tonight. No, it's a pleasure. Um, before we get into anything else, I always ask um, my guests to, to to do a brief intro for, for the listeners. So tell us who you are and a bit more about yourself and the business at Marshall McAdam. Yeah, okay. So, um, God, I've been in recruitment now just over 20 years. Uh, I started out, God, way back uh, with Match Tech Group. In fact, we were called Matchmaker back then. Um, so you can imagine how cringy that was, phoning candidates and clients and the voicemails you'd leave and the suspicious wow. partners that would be phoning you back. It was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> an interesting rebrand after a couple of years but uh yes yeah, so i started off there with, with match tech spent 15 16 years with them uh saw a lot of change i think you know when i joined there was uh probably only about 15 people in the company or so um went through yeah a lot there with, with those guys with growth went through an ipo uh went through a big acquisition with them as well uh, when we acquired networkers um, and eventually also, sorry, launched a couple of brands. So I launched Barclay Mead, launched Alderwood as well for the business. Um, and then my last year after the acquisition, I actually found myself over in Dallas in Texas, uh, running the business across there, which was yeah, good fun, a good change. How long were you there for? Uh, I was there probably for about a year, um, wow. which yeah, probably wasn't really what the plan was all about. Uh, but it was definitely about going out and I guess finding some new life experiences and things like that as well. Um, and actually, when I got over there, uh, I met my now wife, um, who's uh, originally from Australia, uh, from this part of the world. And I guess that through circumstances, um, we knew that we obviously wanted to be together uh, and finding the right place to do that. She was, I think, always going to win that debate. Uh, so we... Pete knows we, that. <laughs> Pete knows that we had a big chat about that on your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 
so I think it was uh, yeah just over four years ago now uh, I found myself yeah moving out here and um, leaving Match Tech after all that time, which was yeah quite nervy really. That was all I'd really known in a recruitment sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a great obviously a great training ground where I learned a hell of a lot, but with some really good people. Um, I think Sean, you and I were talking about this, and people that have gone on and done some you know some pretty incredible things as as well beyond that. Um, and when I initially came out here, uh, I actually took a role with the Adeco Group. Um, to to launch a professional staffing business that was called Spring. Um, So I got involved with that and uh, we got that off the ground and and up and running. Um, Over here, right? Mm. Yeah, it's big big globally and uh, I think Adeco had acquired it and they were looking to consolidate the brands and do different things um, and wanted to launch in professional staffing over here. And I think with my background, it was a a natural fit. but interestingly, the, f- the point when I first came out here, my, my old CEO, Brian Wilkinson uh, from MatchTech, actually introduced me to Ben and Hamish, who are the guys that own Marshall McAdam. Right. And uh, he'd, he'd <laughs> acquired one of their businesses previously when he was with Randstad, a business called Link Recruitment. Mm. Um, and Brian said to me, um, you know, these are good guys, good stand-up guys. You've got a lot in common. Um, you know, culturally, uh, you're well aligned. So we'd, we'd started a conversation, and I guess that conversation just kind of continued behind the scenes, really. And then a, probably a couple of years ago now, they approached me and said, look, you know, we're in a position where we want to scale the business up. We've achieved a lot um, and, you know, we, we'd like to bring you in or there's an opportunity for you to come in and you know, really look at where we're going with the business uh, and be part of that next step in our, in our journey. So for me, it was it was the right thing. I you know I'd enjoyed my time with the Deco, um, mm-hmm. but I think I've learned through that process that probably, a, you know, a big corporate wasn't really for me. Um, I like probably having a bit more autonomy and ownership around uh, sort of owning and driving through change and um, not necessarily kind of always thinking about the big corporate picture. Uh, yeah. I think that, that just, just wasn't wasn't really what I was cut out for. So I think it was yeah, it was a good, it was a good match uh, and came into the business yeah, almost two years ago. Um, so what, 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 what do you... What do Marshall McCann do, like, overview of, of the business? What's it focus on? Yeah, it's a funny one, this, isn't it? I think um, when anyone asks uh, what does a recruitment company do, we all go straight to the default kind of specialisations and and whatnot. And we're actually working at the moment as a business to try and change our rhetoric around that and talk more yeah. about the solutions we provide. Because I think, well, I can say what we do. We do technology, we do finance transformation data. It's Perm contract, it's in Melbourne, it's in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, it's typically probably starting at about 100k uh, through to about 300 uh, would be most of the work we do. But I kind of find when you give that description, and uh, again, you you both speak to a lot of recruitment owners and, and whatnot. Really, all you're kind of describing is how you organise yourself. Um, I don't think you're necessarily speaking to the services or solutions that you provide your clients, um, apart from just telling them what you've got in your books. So I think what we're going through at the moment is, is more of a, a kind of realignment around those services and um, talking about the way that we provide, for example, leadership solutions for our clients, uh, the way that we look at transformational projects um, and the way that we provide specialist talent. So that's that's something we're working on and um, maybe we'll get to that in a bit, but it's something that's definitely been born out of COVID is uh, an opportunity to kind of look at the business, look at the way that we, um, I guess, run our strategy and the way that we articulate that and engage with the market. Mm. Um, just wanting to just wanting to be a bit different and probably actually some of the stuff I took away from the Hoxo uh, work um, with the with the the story brand there where you talk about being the guide mm. um, and thinking well you know that's what we're here to be we're here to be the guide the professional guide company 100%. Um, and you know when we're going out and articulating to clients what we can do for them or candidates we should be more explicit about that rather than saying yeah well we, we do tech recruitment <laughs> in Melbourne um, 
I don't think that's that's necessarily kind of hitting the nail on the head with what you're going to do for that person. Yeah, well, it's, 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 that's a very transactional way of talking, isn't it? It is, and I and I think, and again, I, I, I wouldn't want to be disrespectful to anyone, but I think whenever you, you meet someone in recruitment, and you say, "Oh, you know, what do you do?" They go straight to accounting and finance, sales and marketing, FMCG, and they get descriptive immediately around around <coughs> that kind of that pigeonhole of where where they exist. Um, which I guess you need to a certain degree, but I think there's also that sense of, uh, say, the solutions and what you stand for. And Marshall McCadam very much uh, epitomises that that classic Melbourne boutique feel, doesn't it? It's uh, it's just it, it's a, it's a business that's it's owner operated. You know, the guys who founded the business at the helm, they've been around for a long time. They're very well respected, very well networked. Yeah, it's a good, yeah, sensible, mature business that, that, that's that's hugely respected in the marketplace. Yeah, it's just one of those. It just epitomises a, a, a classic Melbourne boutique to me. Yeah, look, I, I'd, I'd agree with you. I think that's exactly what I felt when I came in. And you know, the 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 customers are very loyal. Uh, they're very engaged with with what we do with them. Um, they're very clear around the quality of the the work that they want to deliver. Um, mm. Definitely not a KPI uh, type type organisation. Um, but I think what I saw when I came into the business was was probably that sense of, well, how do we scale this? Uh, because essentially we've got, say, 15 people um, kind of working on their own islands um, in a, in, and doing a very good job and being good at what they do. But looking at, well, where's the consistency and how do you then start to bring people into the business to where we can start to replicate some of the ways that we're working? Um, and through that, start to broaden out the, the customer base. So it's, it's finding that balance between what's made the business really successful and then what we need to do with the business to, to start to take it forward again. Well, let's, we'll get into that all in a minute. I, one thing, obviously getting to know you, one thing that, that struck me about you was this calming nature. Like when I was in a room with 15, I was in a room with 15 people and we've got, you always get a, a blend of characters, right? You always get lots of different personalities, but you just was this like rock solid calming guy in the room. And, and I loved it. I really enjoyed being in your presence for that. And I, I could imagine leading a business, a recruitment business, and especially where it's chaotic at best, that's gone in your favour. But I guess, because you mentioned you were a musician as well, weren't you, in, in, in your personal I was. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, you just don't strike me as that obvious, like, wide boy, not match tech, because I don't think that the people, no, I don't think the people I know from match tech are, are wide either. They're really, actually, really smart. But you still, I don't know, you, when you said you're a musician, I was like, and I can see you with the guitar out. I can just, I can feel it. You're so laid back. <laughs> so how did that evolve for you? Like, how did your personality work as a recruiter with, with being so bloody well, laid back? Hang on, what, 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 was your, what was your instrument of choice, Anton? I reckon you were a bass player. No, no, no. I, I, I was actually a, a, a guitarist frontman. Singer as well. Singer as well. Singer songwriter. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was uh, yeah, my misspent youth. Um, <laughs> why, why did you choose recruitment then? Like, because I imagine there was other options. Yeah, I, I guess um, I'd, I'd always sort of been working in sales and working in in, in sort of some some degree uh, of, of something. Actually, when I was growing up as a kid, uh, my dad was a market trader, was he? and uh, through my teen years, I used to work on the market stalls selling moccasin slippers of all things. Go on. Um, in Portsmouth, which being from Southampton, uh, that's a baptism of fire. Trust me, when you're when you're that age, being uh, called scummer uh, every every day of the every week. Um, huh. But I think I'd always just enjoyed that enjoyed that kind of human connection and, and 
just I don't know, engaging with people and whatnot. So I'd always been drawn towards that, even sort of through college working in telesales jobs or uh, that that kind of stuff. It, it just naturally where I gravitate towards. And um, yeah, I still remember vividly actually seeing the advert in the newspaper. That's how long ago it was. Uh, the internet wasn't even a thing uh, for Match Tech. And they were actually applying for, at the time, advertising for graduates, which I wasn't a graduate. Um, you know, I'd left school and, and college really without anything in terms of concrete qualifications at that point. Um, but still went down and, 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 and I met with them. And I think, to be honest, I didn't really know what recruitment was. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me. I remember going in my, my first week and um, I think I'd worked through a couple of recruitment companies as a, as a temp. And my perception was they took they took half my pay <laughs> uh, and got in there in the first week. And everyone's talking about ENIC and all this kind of stuff and limited companies. And that's oh, I just don't even know what this is about. But um, I just think I just enjoyed getting on the phone and, and just talking to people and just and then the candidates and I think probably that that's where maybe the creativity came into it uh, in terms of uh, I guess probably what I saw as my skill as a recruiter was always um, and probably continues to be is is yeah that creativity looking at different ways to put things together or frame different things um, I've never been the recruiter that can just take a job uh, through a through a portal go off, run a search, get the candidates and put them across, you know, that that kind of interaction and talking with the client and understanding, you know, really what they're looking to achieve. And same from a candidate perspective, you know, what do they want from the role? And I, I guess maybe that's where, where it comes from. But um, it's funny, I think over the years when I've worked in recruitment, you find a lot of people come from a sports background mm -hmm. uh, and they've kind of worked around, um, let's say, high performance sport to, to some degree. Uh, and they know what it takes to be coached and to be developed. Uh, and to take on feedback and you know what it takes to to you know to be the best of what you do. But equally, I've worked with quite a few musicians as well that have made the transfer into recruitment. Uh, there's a guy Maduka actually that runs Concilium in London, right. um, who uh, I think he's got a mobile or something, um, and he's he's a phenomenal recruiter. So, and we've talked about it a few times over the years that that yeah, I think that creativity um, and probably you know when you when you're writing music and performing it, you're probably trying to sell it as well and promote it, right? Yeah. So it's a it's a natural kind of maybe it's not the most natural trend. We'll get onto that in a minute about creativity because the way you adopted to the to the lockdown was was remarkable. I think especially working with with us. What what about the calm in nature though? Am I just picking that up and it was something you've developed or have you always had that? Because like, I imagine <clears throat> just to set the scene, that was that was definitely something I had to learn. I was <clears throat> sky high when I did a deal, rock bottom when I didn't, and uh, you know I was I was very yo-yo in my early days and, yeah. and my boss Steve Garner I just loved how he was he was never that excited when you did a deal but he was never disappointed never very disappointed when you didn't and he gave me that and, and that was the first thing he said when you move into leadership you got to rein it in a bit you got to you know you got to ride the wave slightly less intensely and you can inside you can be shit in your pants but you can't show it and, in, and you can't get too excited when you do one deal because you you know you, you expected to push that is an it's an expectation now um and I, and I definitely worked on it but i wouldn't say it's like the most natural thing for me what about what about yourself um it's an interesting one i think probably uh for the people i work with um and work around and, and when i do deals i'm very high energy you know i'm very you know we get a deal i'm the first one around the office you know pumping fist and high-fiving and getting excited about it i think probably on the on the flip side um i've probably been more balanced on the downs when things haven't gone right and, or, or, or um, yeah, deals dropped out, contractors finish up. Um, 
and I don't know where that necessarily comes from. Probably just the the view that there's certain things you can control, uh, certain things you can't control, and all you can do is just keep doing what you're best and you know keep going at it. Um, but definitely enjoying the successes, and I think that's yeah, it's nice. It's interesting you say that I'm a calm person. Uh, I guess I don't think of myself <laughs> necessarily that way. Um, but I think there's probably that element of uh, yeah, just the natural calmness. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm reflecting on your question actually as well. I remember very vividly my first few years with Matchtech, uh, George that founded the business and Adrian Gunn, who was was my manager and eventually the CEO there. Um, they were very good at keeping people uh, grounded. Um, I think it was in my, my my second year there. Uh, my first year came off to a really good start. Second year, I think I ended up as top biller, probably billing close to, I don't know, 500,000 pounds or something like that. And mm-hmm. um, But they didn't blow any smoke up my backside. They didn't, you know, chuck a nice shiny car at me or anything like that. Um, they were encouraging and supportive, but they equally wanted to know, well, where else do you want to take this? Where do you want to go next? And, you know, were quick to support me by putting a team around me and giving me opportunities to grow as well. So and it was never quite that sense of um, what you're doing is not enough, but there was always a sense of, uh, I kind of call it leadership by FOMO. <clears throat> um, the sense that there's always bigger and better things around the corner and uh, you know you want to stick around and do your best because there's a fear that you won't be part of that if in, in this year kind of continuing to step up uh, and I definitely saw that through my time at Matchtech um, and seeing the growth of the business and some of the things that we went through and um, you know being part of I think I was probably what 27 years old and uh, with a with a, a group of people um, being tasked with working with the business to get it through an IPO uh, and I think probably one of the proudest days of my career was standing there on the, it was the, the end of October 2006, 2006 uh, the London Stock Exchange and watching the name pop up on the ticker for the first time wow. um, with the bunch of guys that I'd worked with for, say, six years or so and knowing what we'd gone through to, to get the business to that point. Um, so I think there was always a very much, uh, we, yeah, we, we celebrated our successes, but there was never a sense of getting too big for your boots. Yeah. Um, in fact, I remember the day we we we, we floated, and, and George actually saying to the group, uh, "If any of you turn up with a Porsche, you're fired." Mm. <laughs> um, it was being a bit tongue in cheek, but it, it was a kind of point of you know that's not what this is about. It's not no. about uh, you know being flash or um, anything. You know, we've done well, but let's keep going. There's more that we can keep doing here as well. So may, maybe uh, an element comes from that initial grounding. I'm interrupting this podcast to give you an update from our sponsor, Audro. The team at Audra have launched another feature in summer 2020, and it's going to be a game changer. This is going to massively change the way the recruitment agency market operates globally for the future. They've called it Audro Producer. This platform sits alongside the company's award-winning video interview opportunity um, and gives you, the recruiter, the ability to create engaging, eye-catching video content ready to share in a matter of minutes. So you can record or upload a video Um, And then you can add banners, overlays, images, subtitles, logos, so that you can create these eye-catching videos that are built for LinkedIn. So whether you're interviewing, whether you're doing sales messaging, or you're just trying to put out valuable content online, then Odro is no longer just a video interview platform. It's also a content creation platform for recruiters. Get in touch with Odro today to see how you can implement this into your recruitment agency ASAP. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. I reckon when you get into management early as well, it probably you've got to be for other people. What about you, Pete? Same sort of question. How did you, how did your career evolve that way in terms of managing the highs and the lows? Do you know what? It's really interesting. So I've never, I've never 
I've never been a, a, a team leader or a manager. Uh, it was just because I've been self-employed for 17 years. So management is has never been anything that I've uh, I've, I've ventured into. But it's, it's funny. I, I did a podcast today with, funnily enough, it might connect to you, Anton. You know Tom Dumper, who run PSP? I, I used to work with him in Melbourne. There you go. All right, so you both know him. So he's, he's obviously ex-match tech. I did a podcast today with his his wife, Helena, who has yeah. just written a book uh, yeah. about avoiding burnout. And so we, we were talking about this very subject today <laughs> and, uh, you know, managing highs and lows. And I was, I, was, I was saying to her, I still struggle. I'll be honest with you, boys. I've had a terrible November, right? I've had an awful November. I've had four job offers not go my way. And, uh, you know, for a, for a small self-employed uh, business on the back end of a global pandemic, I, I did not need November to go the way that it just did. And I haven't handled it well. Even with the years of experience that I apparently have, I, I still don't know how to accept it for what it is, put it to the side and look to the future. I still stew on it. It still bothers me. So to answer your question, Sean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to... I think- I think what you've said there probably is some, there's a connection I think between management of people and management of those situations because you, once you, it's like having children, I think, I mean, I don't have children, but once you have children, you, you know, you've got a responsibility for other people. It's not yourself. So if you flap, they're going to flap. It's that kind of, you know, you've got to be the person that remains rock solid. And it sounds like in match tech, like some other organizations, they kind of, you know, they, you grow up really fast because you're given those big responsibilities. Like you went off to Texas to run a, a business, for God's sake. At yeah. that age. Not many people do that. Um, so we'll get into the whole coronavirus bit in a minute. But I want to know, like, so how did you feel about moving to Australia? When had you, had you ever been there before? Like Pete was pretty open. <laughs> he was a bit up and down about it. He, he wasn't exactly like desperate to go. But, he, you know, his wife was from there. It makes sense. What, how was your experience on that? Um, yeah, probably strange like everything in my life. I was pretty relaxed about it, um, almost quite zen, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I knew what I wanted. Uh, I think, you know, I, I knew that I'd probably uh, committed a large chunk of my life to work and, yeah. you know, achieving stuff through work and making certain sacrifices for that. And um, I think, you know, maybe it sounds a bit cliche, but when I met my wife, I think I just knew that actually I need to find some balance here and, and this is what mm-hmm. I want. Um, so I felt a perfect calmness about it once I've made the decision. Um, and it didn't take me long to, to really arrive at that decision. If anything, I probably felt like I was probably letting a few people down, uh, particularly at Match Tech, where they, they backed me and kind of encouraged me and supported me. Um, but then, you know, on reflection, I just think you, you've got to make your own choices in life uh, for certain things. And they had 16 years from me, so I don't think they got too much of a bad deal. But, <laughs> no, clearly um, not. So, yeah, I think coming out, no, to answer your question, sorry, I've never been to Australia. Uh, I did a trip over here for about 10 days to um, to see my wife and to, to kind of meet with a few companies. Uh, my brother lived out here, uh, but he's, he'd been out here, God, he's been out here now for probably close to 10 years, but he's very different. He was pretty much living in the hostel at Coogee for most of that time. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, no, hadn't been out here, but I think I just, it was nothing ventured, nothing gained. I think uh, at that point when I came out here, I was, probably 38 um, and thought if I don't do this now I'm never going to do this and um, so let's do it I'm in Texas I haven't really uh, got any family here I haven't really established any real strong friendships I've got nothing at this point to to kind of lose I've decided to leave the UK so why not go to Australia um, and see what that's all about really which how did you find 
how did you, how did you find the the, the the difference in recruitment styles from the UK to, to Melbourne? Because they are very different. And what, what was your discovery? Yeah, it's interesting. It reminded me of what I thought recruitment was when I first got into it. Um, people work with you because they like you. They want to meet with you. Uh, in fact, I think I think it was Brian uh, Wilkinson that gave me the advice. He said, you know, Aussies will um, happily meet with you and engage with you and you know, want to have a beer or coffee or whatever it is. Um, but actually closing the buggers is pretty difficult. Uh, so he said, just keep an eye on it uh, because you have lots of mates, but not necessarily it won't start to turn into, into sort of a business relationship because they're more social by nature. And I remember getting here and, and starting connecting with some pretty senior people in the market from a kind of client candidate perspective and just floating the idea of a, a coffee and they'd all accept. And I felt like a rock star. I thought, this is brilliant. Everyone wants to meet with me. Um, and and you realize you kind of get out and about and you, yeah, you just kind of following what those connections are. But it, the other thing I think I learned as well was that, uh, and maybe this was a, a stark difference to America where your credentials are much more important. Um, everyone kind of wants to know where you went to school, you know, who, who you know, who you work with. Um, whereas I think when you get here, it's it's the opposite. People are probably turned off a bit by that here. They want to get to know you on a personal level uh, and know what you're about and what you can offer. Um, they don't really care if you've got a master's in this or uh, you live in a certain place or you've done a certain thing or you know certain people. They'll, they'll kind of judge you more on your own merit of who you are, which... Um, it took a bit of adjusting, but I, I prefer it. Again, I think you, you, you kind of know where you stand with that. Um, so, yeah, it's good. I think, uh, you know, it's I'd certainly enjoy that more social aspect uh, of getting out more face-to-face and, and well, when we, when we could and hopefully next right. year. But Perfect time to move in, right? You just face-to-face. Well, we all loved a bit of face-to-face, didn't we? Um, so where where was your business in in end of February, early March 2020? Like just set the scene for us. What did it look like? What was your role like? How many people, et cetera? And what how was it how was it actually going pre-pandemic? Yeah, so um it was funny actually because I think uh I was thinking about this today coming into this, because I thought I'd have feeling you're gonna ask a, a question or a similar question to that. Um and I haven't really looked back too much, partly because I don't necessarily well. To the point, I, I, I'm a probably personality type that tends to look forward rather than backwards a bit more. But so I dug out the results and had a little look. And what I do know is that this this time last year, we were feeling supremely optimistic. We'd had a really, really great six months. The business was growing, you know, sort of more than double digit growth. Um, the, the team uh, I was coming up to about a year in the business. We we'd started to work in some new ways of going forward. We'd actually hired about five or six people that we wanted to go into new markets. And we went into Christmas feeling great. Um, and you know, the, the, the figures were, were speaking for themselves really. And, and then you kind of come into this year um, and February was, our, was the best month in the company's history. Wow. So you, know, you look at the figures and, and I actually found the slide deck from the end of uh, month wrap I did in February, where I sort of got the results up and I'm showing them and telling <laughs> them the best, best ever result and potentially with the pipeline March was looking even stronger. And then two weeks later, we closed the office. Um, and then if you look at the results through March, April, May, June, the next four months, we build as much in perm in four months as we build in February. Wow. So it just, the perm side just went off a cliff edge. And, uh, you know, again, I was looking through the pipeline and I think 80% of the jobs that we had on going into March just went dead. They weren't filled by competitors or filled directly. They were just, they were just canceled. Um, so the business was yeah on the cusp of really starting to, go forward and everything we'd spent a year putting in place and planning and looking at the strategy and the way that we wanted to take things forward and the investment we wanted to put in was was 
there. It was on the cusp, um, ready just to accelerate from that point. So, yeah, I guess come middle of March, I think Ben and Hamish, I think they both phoned me up and said, look, you know, that's what we're going to do about this. You know, let's, let's start looking at this and um, how we're going to go about it. And the unanimous decision really was was we need to go we need to go hard and we need to go deep quick. Um, we don't want death by a thousand cuts. Um, and I think you you know you touched on this sorry the UK experience. I think you know I look back and uh, again I don't think I'm being sort of disingenuous and I say that the GFC was probably in in terms of the impact on the market in in recruitment and what have you. And I think probably learning from some of those experiences uh, uh, and other experiences. 9/11 happened. I was running an aerospace team. So you know, having been through crisis in the past, and you know, what what did you learn from that, uh, and trying to apply it to this? So yeah, go deep and hard. I think was the that's what we need to do. Um, so we we actually let five or six people go very quickly, uh, which were the new people that had joined the business. Before? Sorry, I, yeah, sorry, I didn't answer that question. So at that point, the business we would have been 22, 23 people. Uh, um, majority in Melbourne, uh, so yeah, about 16 people in Melbourne um, and four or five people um, over in Sydney. Uh, we just actually hired a director in Sydney that had come across from Hong Kong. He'd been with us about three or four weeks, um, which is part of the investment and the growth strategy as well. So, um, but we just felt, yeah, we just had to make those decisions. So we, what do we do? Yes, yeah, so we, we let the five or six juniors that had recently joined the business, we let them go, um, which was not an easy decision to make. and. Um, you know, we had to think that through on, in, in terms of the, the impact on them personally. But I think what we determined was that they were still so new to the business. They were new to markets that we were wanting to go into. Um, we hadn't really established the clients. We hadn't really established the candidate bases. So then putting people, and some of them were kind of mixed experience, but then through a crisis, getting those people to go out and try and create something at that time, we felt was actually probably just not good for them as well. Um, we also wanted to protect the core of the business and the people that had really grown the business and got it to that point. So we we went very quickly uh, down as well to a four day week. Um, everyone went down to to eighty, well the business went down to eighty percent pay. Um, myself and uh, Ben and Hamish also went down to no pay for a period of time as well, uh, just to make sure that that survival was there. Um, and we we put a pause on bonuses uh, and we did explain that to the team. Um, and we said, look, as far unless anything gets significantly worse, this is as deep as we feel that we need to have to go. We have to go at this point. Uh, you know, we're going to look at other government incentives um, like JobKeeper and um, what we can do around rent relief and so forth as well uh, to make sure we prop things up. But the priority at this point is survive. You know, we want to make sure that when we come out of the back of this, that there's a business still um, in some form, uh, whatever that may need to look like that we, we can go forward with. What kind of questions were you fielding from your people, Anton? What was the thing that they were most worried about that they wanted answers from you on? Um, it's a good question. I think they'll probably just want to know that um, that the business wasn't about to wrap up, the business wasn't about to disappear, uh, that we would you know, support them as much as we could, uh, that we would also be flexible, that we weren't expecting them to be working a 60-hour week through these conditions and kind of mindful of their own home situations. We've got a fair few working parents working for us uh, that were then also homeschooling and, and things like that as well. So, but I think to be honest with you, the the, the trust in the culture uh, and the way that I guess they've been treated 
in the business leading up to it and the way that since they'd been in the business, it, it, I think you said early on, Pete, no, it's, a, it's a mature business with that kind of mature mindset. So we'd always had that kind of flexible way of working. So actually the idea of working from home wasn't, wasn't an alien concept. It was something that we had. Most people would work from home one, maybe two days a week as it was anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of scaling that up a bit was, um, was, was, was fine. And I guess, again, we didn't really know to what extent that was going to have to go on for. Um, the other thing that we did, I guess people, like, people did want to know, you know, when are we going to be able to do things around salaries and bonuses and what does that need to look at? So we, you know, we worked hard to look at the numbers, uh, to work through the cost lines. And then what we actually did, which I think is, you know, you, you may have heard of other recruitment companies doing the same. I'm, I haven't spoken to anyone who, who's done anything like this, but we actually put in place a team threshold. Uh, and we said to the business, this is the figure. Uh, we've done the numbers. And if the business can hit this number, then we're going to top everybody, everybody's pay it up to full salary. Hmm. Um, regardless of how many hours you work, regardless of what you build, regardless of your contribution, um, everybody will benefit from the team collectively hitting this number. Hmm. So we put that in place. And then we also put a secondary threshold in place as well, where we said, if the team gets to this level, which wasn't significantly higher than the first level, then we're also going to have some cash to be able to pay some bonuses. Uh, and those bonuses will be looking at individual billings, but also individual contribution. Um, and the way that people are potentially supporting their colleagues when they get a bit of work and they need support or the way that people are generating work for others, the way that people are cross-selling, uh, generally being encouraging and supporting the culture as well. Um, and again, I'm probably jumping forward a little bit, but if I get to the the, the quarter that we, we were in prior to this one, we absolutely smashed it. Uh, and the team all knew the number. Uh, we put a, a dashboard in place every week where everyone could see what the number looked like. They could see the pipeline. Um, every week I'd be reporting the progress. It felt like a bit like the bloody Trump election. Uh, when you're watching the, the stats, I felt like the guy on the, on the screen tapping the different states. Um, but just giving people that visibility. And I think what I think what we knew going into this is that we, yeah, we are boutique small business. So that's our strength. Um, you know, we're not trying to, uh, you know, I look at maybe a different situation like Stephen Castro <laughs> or Paul Hallam were facing with sort of 100 plus employees uh, and trying to get across those people and, and sort of communicate and engage with everyone and understand where everyone's at. And, you know, that's a completely different, I think, scenario to what what we found ourselves in uh, where we are. So, um, but just being very clear with everyone. Uh, and so they, I guess, also had that sense of a little bit being in control of their own destiny and knowing what they needed to contribute. Um, and the collaboration and teamwork that's come off the back of that has been phenomenal. Uh, yeah. with the way that people are looking at each other's kind of deals and placements and we do a morning kickoff and everyone wants to know what's going on with each other's desk um, because they know what that can bring to them personally as well. I love that. I think that's when one of the kind of overarching consistent themes I've picked up is the togetherness of businesses post-COVID has been incredible. One one in thing that's going through my head as you're talking is um, your experience has been, you know, one one year in roughly to that job of being a the, the director that's running the business for two owners effectively <clears throat> how, how did you feel going into the you know the, a, a crisis as big as this did you worry about your job like because you don't own the company that like, you know they, they, surely they could go well one of us steps in and you know we take a huge the biggest hitter out of the business and we step in and we manage it for for the next 12 months did that did that ever or did how did you feel supported etc in that in that relationship yeah look, and that, that's a good question and there's even um without you knowing there's actually probably more to that context as well which uh despite <clears throat> being married to an australian um at the point when covid hit i was still on a work sponsored visa really 
So whilst the, the application was in to get the spousal visa, I couldn't actually forfeit my work-sponsored visa without leaving the country, applying for a partner visa to then be able to come back into the country. So the only way I could stay in the country was to essentially let the work visa naturally expire. And then it would turn into a spousal visa after that. Um, but that visa wasn't going to run out until uh, the end of August, start of September. So right. I'm sitting there in March thinking, so <laughs> if anything goes wrong here in the next six months, um, not only have I not got a job, but actually I've got no way to stay in Australia at this point. Um, and I'm going to have to leave the country and kind of figure that out. Plus the context that at the end of last year, actually, uh, uh, my son had relocated to live with us permanently over here. Really? So it wasn't just me. I've got my son who's over here as well, that we've taken him from the UK. He's, he's, he's come and he's just starting to establish his own life here as well. Um, even more complex, if I really want to lay, lay it all on, uh, mm. is uh, my, my wife runs a travel business. Oh, wow. So you can imagine what her year's been like uh, as, as, as well <laughs> through this. So it was, yeah, pretty hairy time, I think, you know, when, when that first hit. And where I would say Ben and Hamish were exceptional is you know that first call when they picked up the phone and said look we're gonna have to make some tough decisions here the next words out of their mouth is you know we see you as the guy that's going to lead the business forward through this and out of this um so we're 100 behind you 100 behind what you bring to the business what you've shown us and what we know you're about so there was never really a question i felt and i felt very comfortable and trusting in in kind of where their mindsets were that 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 wasn't where they were going with their minds could you imagine um, they didn't say that how hard the next few months would have been like it would oh. that's an amazing thing to have done to have put the they spotted that in you straight away and went you know let's settle the, let's settle this before he even thinks there's a there's a doubt in our mind i love that exactly and i think you know that that you know speaks volumes for the kind of people mm -hmm. they are and 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 you know when i can probably talk about the wider culture and the business i think that's how people felt as well so um you know when we're then going out and, and talking to people about um you know, the way that we're going to have to adjust their hours or their pay and this, that, and the other, you know, we've been very explicit about what we were trying to do with the business, but also acknowledging that, you know, there is uncertainty. Um, and we all know that, I think, but, uh, but no, they were great. You know, they've looked after me brilliantly in, in, in that sense. And, um, and I was very open with them and, and they didn't actually know the visa situation. When I then said to them, we, you know, this is where my visa situation sits. Um, they didn't even know that they were quite surprised actually by wow. that situation afterwards, which again, probably made me feel even better about it because they you know, hadn't done it as a knee jerk reaction. Yeah. To, to didn't, that base situation. On, didn't base it on that decision. They based it on you and that's great. Well, you a lot of feel like you've got a question, Pete. I do. I do. So it, 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 it's awesome that, that Ben and Hamish said that to you and that the sentiment was obviously uh, very powerful, but with that would come presumably a lot of pressure. Yeah, you know, a lot of pressure. Um, <laughs> yeah. and we're also going through a global recession, and you've also got everything going on at home. So that yeah. feels like a lot for 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 one one human to handle. So how did you look after you? How did you front up at work every day, supporting all those people who were looking to you, but then you were also looking after yourself? How did you manage? Yeah. How did you cope? Um, I'm not sure I always did. I think is uh, or do. I think is the answer to that. I think. Uh, Oh, I think look from the start, I knew I had to focus on um, my own well-being, and I was—you know, talked about the steps. Uh, you know, through those first few months, I was out walking and clearing my head. Um, you know, I'm lucky that you know in my home life here, I've got a huge amount of support uh, and someone who's you know, encouraging and you know, wants the best from from what I'm doing. And you know, we go out of a way to to make sure that I'm given that 
I guess, space to be able to do the job, but equally the space to have some sort of downtime and, and be able to switch off from it as well. And mm-hmm. and again, it's funny as you say that, and, and there was never a moment where I felt any pressure from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, again, maybe wow. it talks probably slightly to my, my personality or, or the nature of what I'm about. Um, I enjoy challenge. I think I enjoy uh, being in a situation where it, 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 I'm not very good at BAU. I think it's probably the best way of putting it. Put me in a situation where there's there's something to fix, something to resolve, something to change, something to take forward. Um, and that's when I, I, I'm probably at my best. Um, and yeah, I'm not saying I got everything right probably through the, the last eight months, but it it probably played more to my strengths. And again, I think if you look at the personalities of Ben and Hamish, um, again, I think they'd probably be the first to say as well that of the three of us, uh, the leadership that we needed over the last few months and probably going forward was probably more suited probably to my star. Um, I was definitely the, I would say the optimist of the three. Um, so wow. when we're, you almost saying that when COVID came along, you were like, great. No, probably not quite that much. I think there's definitely <laughs> a few, a few moments like that. But again, I think it was like, well, what can you do about it? You know, all you can do is you roll yeah. your sleeves up and make a plan and, um, and I said this to a few people uh, at the time, and I continue to say this. It, I think you know you can get drawn into the negatives of COVID, and you can be watching the daily numbers and statistics and the, the kind of fear of it. But I actually think this is uh, the single greatest opportunity in our careers to to mm-hmm. do something. Um, you know, there's no better time to reinvent yourself, uh, to knock out some of the bad habits and things that are in the business that you you don't necessarily want to continue, and really carve a, a, a pathway for how you want to go forward from this point. And I think for me, I think once I kind of got a feel across the numbers and, and the workflow, um, and look, we were in a fortunate position that, um, you, know, you know, I talked there through what the drop in the business looked like. But if I look at the quarter from July through to September, uh, it was pretty much on par with what we did in the previous year. I think we were maybe 3% down on prior year, which is crazy. Um, yeah. But once you could see what those figures were going to look like, uh my head quickly went beyond survival mode and into future mode you know where can we take this where can we take all the great opportunity that we've got within this business and the the goodwill from the customers and uh the brand that we've created and how can we really start to to do something a bit different um so i think there was never i never felt this kind of sense sense of pressure the market's going to do what the market's going to do i knew that i was surrounded by great people experienced recruiters that knew what they were doing um you know we weren't carrying anyone that uh, let's say had less than probably two or three years recruitment experience. Um, they all knew how to recruit. They knew all knew how to BD. Um, so from a technical point of view, there was they didn't necessarily need that support. Um, yeah, from probably a mental well-being and a, an encouragement and positivity, of, of course. Um, and that's you know a challenge. I think Ange spoke about this last week. You know, as the leader, you're expected to kind of dust yourself off every morning and be the one with the biggest smile and the energy mm-hmm. and the and then let's go and. Um, I'd say there's probably been certain days I've struggled to be that, uh, but I think we all have. A final interruption to today's episode to introduce Vincere. Vincere is the all-in-one CRM ATS platform built for the recruitment and staffing industry. Now, I first heard about these guys about a year ago. The amount of prospect recruitment agencies and clients I was working with that were telling me they were moving over to Vincere, I had to look into it. And what I found was a business that had a global reach um, with multiple offices around the world. So they've got this follow the sun methodology, which allows them to support recruitment businesses wherever you are and and, and be in your time zone. 
but the technology that they've invested in um, is becoming a, a disruptor in the space. More and more recruitment businesses are, are doing this to give their, their recruiters a competitive advantage. They broke into the G2 crowd's momentum grid as a market leader based on their reviews from their customers. So the, the agencies that are using this platform are raving about it. Now, if you're a rag listener and you're thinking about changing CRM or you're a new business looking to launch with a new CRM, then I would get in touch with, the, with these guys because if you mention that you're a rag listener, they're doing an amazing deal. By visiting www.vincere.io forward slash rag, you can get an exclusive deal which offers two months completely free on a two-year commitment or three months completely free on a three-year commitment. This applies to all licenses that you've either signed up for now or that you'll add in the duration of the contract. So get on there and have a look. Finally, if you're listening to your recruiter and you're thinking, I want to move into a more of a business development role um, and I'd like to keep hold of my recruitment knowledge. Well, these guys are recruiting for a BD person, well, multiple roles in both Sydney and London right now. So if you've got a strong recruitment background, you want to move into BD and you want to work for a fast moving tech business that's helping people like you right now, then get in touch via their website because they're hiring today. Back to the show. I'll be honest, I can be like rock bottom one minute before the meeting. And then, you know, you've got to turn. I, I've always had the ability to just face off to people. And then as soon as the, the Zoom goes off, I'm dro I drop like I can feel my energy level just drop. I've do it on the I've done it on the academy. I've done it, done it loads on the academy. I've done it mainly with my team meetings. Um, but I, I remember even in Venquist in London, I used to walk into the office and some days I was like, I fucking don't want to be here. Like, I just, I'm mentally, I'm not right. I'm not ready for today. But as soon as I'd, <laughs> I'd walk in, I'd be like, I'd overly be like, look, what have we got on the board? I used to say, oh, I can hear deal music. Can you hear the deal music? We're going to do it today. And people started getting like buzzing off it. And then it yeah. made me feel better. But it is, it is a mental shift. One, I've, I've actually started seeing a, a clinical psychologist and high performance coach in the last month. Yeah. Um, unbelievable guy it's been an incredible journey um well I'll say it's been an incredible it will be I'm, i can't wait i'm gonna i work with him every week for 90 minutes um and last night i sat with him after i think i did seven hours of zoom calls and i had an hour and a half zoom with him and i was pretty shattered and i think i started the call a bit like you know just letting it all out whinging a bit and he's like stop and he said you know the brain naturally moves towards negativity in it from a survival perspective so you know cavemen there's a snake the snake's going to kill me. I better bugger off. Kind of, you always look, you, you, our ancestors have bred that f to, to come from a place of fear and, f and think of the worst. It's like, it's a protection mechanism. And he's like, you've got to remember, it's just your brain doing it. Like, so you, you've got to kind of let, let your brain do it, but then pull yourself almost away from, from those thoughts and look at it again, maybe 30 seconds later, objectively and go, well, that's just my brain fearing the worst. And try and look at it again from a reality perspective. Try and pull yourself out of that. But you, you know, you kind of you, your brain needs to go through these mental negative loops of you know shit. I've had a crap November. Maybe I'll have a crap November, December, and then January's fucked. And I'm you know I'm going to have no money next year, and my career's over. And you know I might be the fittest guy in Melbourne in F45, but everything else is done. Um, but uh, you know what I mean, Pete? Like you can go into that. I'm sure. But it's important to then stop and just go. That is just my brain. It's like a little, you know, someone on my shoulder just telling me the worst case. Thank you for that. And then close the little, as if like, you know, a friend giving you some aggro. Thanks for that. Appreciate your opinion, but put it to one side. And I find that really difficult, but I'm excited to know that you can, you can separate. And it sounds like you've almost got that skill, Anton. You've naturally got a bit of that seed through the, 
all the all the mess to, to the clarity of, of what possible what is possible yeah i think so i think um i think i read something recently where it said uh and i'm probably not quoting this quite right but a pessimist believes that everything's negative and we're all doomed and it's going to end up in a bad way an optimist believes that things are going to be all right but they don't necessarily know what it's going to be yet yeah um and i think I'm, that's probably where i sit you know i kind of look at things and think well nothing lasts forever nothing you know it's a bad day it's a bad week it's a bad situation that you know candidates declined a job or whatever well you know there's still potentially an opportunity there to do something about it and go forward or there's going to be something else somewhere else and i think that it's it's yeah just not dwelling i think on the on the on, on the bad bits which yeah maybe that is just more of a again a natural natural trait i don't know maybe it's uh when you joined um you joined Arxo academy at the beginning of the extended lockdown in melbourne i've talked about this a lot because you were part of the same group and you know again i remember everyone was on rock but i felt like the floor of that that room in the first meeting was really low but you stood out to me on the first meeting as being uh, you wouldn't have known like you you were just smiling you were just grinning you were just like <laughs> hey you're happy to be there i felt um so i guess twofold question why did you take the decision to to join us and, and and invest in yourself in in something new at that point when you could have just reverted to type and yeah. and and then tell us a bit more about how you actually took it took my stuff and and pivoted and, and shifted it into your own business yeah right i think um i've always enjoyed i guess learning and developing and, and looking at new things of uh, ways of doing things and probably always looked on a, with a bit of envy at some people particularly on uh, linkedin that are producing great content and saying interesting things and <laughs> thinking i'm sure i could do that uh mm. but i don't necessarily have the formula i don't have the the, the plan in place uh, to execute that and like anything you it's a bit like a gym membership isn't it you kind of you give it a crack for a few days or a week or so you don't necessarily see the results you want and you something else kind of catches your interest and you kind of yeah. you, you flip off somewhere else and so i think there was an aspect of that but also think that um when when I came into to the Marshall McAdam business, uh, I didn't really have a network in technology in Melbourne, uh, which is really where the core of the business was sitting. Um, I've kind of done across professional services and different bits and pieces, but nothing really in the market for exactly where the, the core offering was for the business. So when kind of March, April hit, and as a business was saying, right, let's get on the phone and speak to the people that we know. And I'm looking at it and thinking, in our market, I don't really know a lot of people. Uh, I know a few people, but most of that's really been born off the back of the rest of the team or um, other people who are going to follow up with this. So when when the opportunity came around, I think Pete shared it with us. Uh, I looked at it and thought, well, I can kill two birds with one stone here. Uh, I can start to learn some some uh, tools and techniques and, and ways to really start to put some of this in place and produce content and share content and get my creative fix uh, and get some stuff out there as well. Um, but equally, I've got an opportunity here to, I'm almost at a blank canvas. Uh, I remember the first session when uh, you, uh, and I use this all the time now when I talk to people. Uh, but if you could get everybody in a room uh, that you want to speak to, who would be in the room? And I remember coming away from that and looking at LinkedIn and thinking I've got about 4,000 connections, right? I did a search, first degree connections and put in all the job titles and it came up with about 200 matches. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought, right. Well, it's, it's on me. It's on me now to do something about it. Uh, and so I think that's that's what I came into the academy for was was actually my own contribution to the business because I'm mindful. Of, I'm, I'm asking the team to make BD calls and connect with clients and find out what's going on in their world. 
yet I'm not necessarily able to do the same thing as them. So this was my kind of version of going out and being more present in the market and engaging in the market to 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 lead by example with the team. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not picking up the phone and speaking to someone I've known for 10 years, but it was still proactively going out and doing something about what we're up to whilst also starting to kind of discover some sort of contemporary ways of, of, of doing that as well. Um, and how did we take it and, and we, we spun it in the business? Well, we've, we've got a few people in the business now that I call my early adopters uh, mm. that we're starting to put some of this, this, this in place with, uh, a small group, um, just to start to test it. Um, and again, you know, finding differences in, in you know, the way that works and you know, taking some of the target audience stuff you do and maybe thinking, well, potentially they've got two. They've got their kind of more client side and candidate side. And they're both uh, on a different journey. So what different guides slightly do they need to be, be in that context and how do we separate that? But what I also know from the, the, the stuff that we, we did around the content was um, we, we then found ourselves in a conversation with one of our clients, uh, which was uh, Dulux Group which is a you know, huge global brand, big brand in Australia. I think they're one of the most or the most trusted brand in the Australian market. Um, and they were, wanted to go through a process of hiring some pretty senior people into their team. But through the conversation, we'd start talking about EVP and what have you. They, they'd actually engaged with an organization to develop an EVP and had all this great content, uh, very clear about the culture and the message that they wanted to put out there. So kind of took some of your stuff and rebadged it, uh, put a bit of a, my own sprinkle on it and put it in front of them and said, hey, why don't we do this for you? And uh, off the back of that, we ended up doing, it was end up as a 45 minute video um, where we did a Q&A with members of the team about the culture, about what it was like to work there. Uh, I did a 20 odd minute interview with the CIO. Mm -hmm. um, we interviewed someone that had joined two weeks before that we'd actually placed during COVID to ask about their onboarding experience during COVID. And we, we packaged that all up we had great engagement from the client and we pushed it out through through LinkedIn and um, you know, the engagement was phenomenal with it. Um, but I think, yes, it was great to be able to put that solution in place for the client and for them to you know, see the outcome and to be able to find some great talent for them. Um, but equally, it was a great way to demonstrate to the team that there's a different way to do this. There's a different way to, to run a recruitment business and some of the concepts and ideas that I think I've been putting out there around the solutions that I wanted to develop. This was the embodiment. This was a real example um, mm -hmm. of not having to need a fancy brochure and, a, and a, a flash slide deck and all the other stuff to go out and sell a concept to a client. You could actually describe it and talk them through the experience and, and get them on board with it. Mm -hmm. So you were showing that creativity there as well, because like of all the people that I've worked with now, there's what? Probably we're getting on for four, three or three, four hundred. If you include the the recent agency consultant level stuff we're doing, you you're the first that's taken taken it and and gone. How could I use this? I think like that that to me show, shows a creative element that you've always had. You just didn't know how you, may, you might not know how you're going to adopt it in in the recruitment role. But it's wicked, mate. I was really I, yeah, I was really, really proud of it. I, I we we also found out about Anton Rowe, the, the family man, didn't we? And his 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 penchant for for gardening and jigsaws. And, uh, <laughs> we, we're going to sneak behind behind the Rowe household. Yeah, <laughs> I think the um it's funny because because uh, uh, particularly the two older kids they're into TikTok and YouTube and uh, they haven't got Instagram or or Facebook or anything like that. We're we're not quite that cool as parents. Yeah, but um. Uh, <laughs> But but they're I guess they're they're socially engaged in that way they kind of understand 
even my son saying uh, to me, uh, I said, oh, this is going to do this recording tonight. And it's going to be on YouTube. Uh, and he's he's buzzing. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's funny, I think, with the kids and they kind of know the content I'm putting up and I'll talk to them about it or I'll take a picture and say, right, this is going up on LinkedIn. And it's yeah. uh, it's, it's this part of it, right? It's the, it's the world that we live in now. And, you know, it's a tool oh. that these kind of tools that they're going to need to be using when they come into into the workplace. Um, That's good. You know, it's, it's during COVID, I was doing these little, uh, these little, I don't know what they call the, the little boards where you put, put yeah, messages. Yeah. And after six or seven weeks, I felt like I must be starting to do everybody's head in. So, to to your point, Anton, I actually rolled out my ten year old, and I got him yeah. to, uh, I got him to hold up the board, and he got way more traction than <laughs> than, than I possibly did. <laughs> he got like two hundred likes or something. I think the key is the key with this stuff, which I've talked about a lot, especially on the academy with you guys, is, you know, when you open up your life. It, it adds an extra level of personality to you as a as a professional, but without the other things, without the cre the, the credibility of the, your track record, without the value, the the knowledge you have of your industry, you are just a random guy on LinkedIn showing your kids gardening, right? Whereas I've looked at your stuff, Pete, and I've checked all the comments and all the likes, and 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 it's it's recruitment owners and recruiters that, that, that are saying it, right? So, you know. That to me is the sign you've nailed it. When you can release something openly and honest, and the people that are engaging are the target audience, because that's what we want, right? We want to we want to ring our clients and we want to have a chat about fucking Christmas and the weather and coronavirus and our kids and the football. We don't want to talk. I mean, I don't know about you. If it's all about business, I'm bored shitless. Like I don't want to have that like robotic relationship with people. It's never been my style. And when you release more online. It allows you to start that process before you even pick up the phone. It doesn't replace the phone. Like you, you don't do a deal from a personal post, <laughs> but it can open the door. It can get you on the phone. It can it can make the phone easier. Can you, do you get what I'm saying? So, um, I think people really on they don't understand it. They're like, yeah, but I'll just stick load. If that works, stick loads of that out. But if that's all you do, you are just a random guy that's just like out there on LinkedIn. You've got to you've got to combine the stuff around your professionalism, your business focus, your industry, and when you get it, when you get that combination right, things start to to really grow. Hey Sean, um, I'm, yeah, I'm I think so. It, it's sorry, sorry, go on, go on. Go on, Well, I was I was just going to say, we, no, no, go on. We, 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 I was just going to say, we we noticed through COVID that LinkedIn got very, very, very noisy, right? Because yep. everybody. Everybody started having a crack at at improving their 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 output, uh, myself included. Um, mm. As 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 somebody who's running a business, Sean, who was you know, designed to, to to help people raise their game in that field, did you did you welcome the increased activity and the increased noise, or did it annoy you somewhat? I loved it. It was like. I've said it on a few podcasts. It was like my my vision five years ago coming true. Like I, I I sat there in 2016, early 2016, watching Gary Vaynerchuk on YouTube, going, "This guy's getting 40,000, 50,000 views on a video that's took him eight minutes." Right? I'm spending fucking three hours, well, eight, nine, ten o'clock, trying to get ten hiring manager phone calls, and I'm like. It's fucking draining. It's boring. It's repetitive. I'm, I've been doing this since I started my career seven years ago. I'm like, there's got to be, and I actually really like. I, I I don't know. I feel like I had an opinion. I I could t I could say more than if if I actually got the fucking client to speak to me. I, I knew I was I was home and dry. Like I, I I had loads to say. I had loads of knowledge. 
But the amount of time people would answer the phone, and as soon as they hear you, they go, oh, I'm in a meeting, mate. Oh, I'll call you back. Bang, gone. And like, you're not in a meeting because you answered the phone. You wouldn't answer the phone in a meeting. Um, also, you know, people just stopped answering the phone because of the mobile phone, like, talk to you later button you can press. Like, there's so many reasons it started to get more tricky. And I felt, I just had this vision that I was going to build a brand for my own recruitment company that was going to be built on content. It was going to be video. It was going to be written content. I didn't know what at the beginning I was going to talk about, but I felt like I had so much to give on a, on a, and I was, and I was proving it offline. Like you don't do the numbers I was doing if you don't know your shit. And I was like, I'm excited. I I got, Amma was like, you are a lunatic. Shut up. Like, let's just go back to what we do. I was like, no, 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 we can do this. So I had this vision for myself. And then it was like this light bulb moment, Pete. When I started talking to like-minded people, like your 30-year-old recruitment owners, the people that were very early on in their journey as an owner, they all were like, get it. A lot of people thought I was lunatic, but there was people that got it. And there was enough people for me to go, this is going to happen. Like, And then you you remember Facebook, like originally was, was <laughs> a certain type of platform and then it evolved. It became so different. And I, I kind of thought, well, LinkedIn at the moment, it's pretty boring. Like all it is, is articles. And, you know, I even have a screenshot on my phone from 2015 of the LinkedIn. Like, I took a photo of LinkedIn for, I think it was my girlfriend at the time or something. And like the, even the, the way that the UI was, it was so boring and dull. I was like, you know, we spend fucking so much time on this and mm-hmm. this is going to be pretty cool. Um, so I had this vision and, and, and I felt like in Corona, it was starting to really happen. People were really starting to, you know, up their game. People were st- with that comes competition. With that comes, you know, the algorithm changes and all sorts. But what you've got to remember, Pete, as well, which I think me and you are blinded by a bit. We look at a link. Our LinkedIn feed is recruitment owner, recruitment owner, recruitment owner, recruitment owner, recruitment owner. Right? So we see our own LinkedIn universe. Mm-hmm. Anton sees his LinkedIn universe, which is 4,000 connections in, in May or June that were split across Southampton, London, UK, Texas, Australia. He's not seeing what you're seeing. So yeah. Anton does his videos and stands out. The people that see him, you'll see it and I'll see it. And, but we'll also see the 50 other recruiters that are starting to do it. And we're like, oh, everyone's on it. Whereas everyone's got their own LinkedIn. Everyone's mm. seen their own version of LinkedIn. So, you know, even if they are the 50th person you've seen today, put a fucking video up. They might be the only person their audience has seen put a video up. Mm. You think about the clients you deal with in, yeah. in technology – you know, a lot of these guys are internal in corporates. Are they all building personal brands? No. So you're standing out in a world that that, that, that is, is is so different because a client's LinkedIn might only have 300 people on it. Yeah. And you're the only one who's made a video this month, this year. Do you get where I'm going? So you've got to twist the lens a little bit. You've got to think it's not, it's very easy to see the world from your lens and think, right, well, everyone's doing it. Oh, it's getting harder, blah, blah, blah. Actually, I think it's great. I think the percentage of recruiters doing this now, I'd say it's less than 5% across the globe. Like there's just, for every one doing it, you'll find hundreds that aren't. Um, So I think it's, it's, it's it's super exciting for for the industry. And um, Anton, you've been, I mean, I've, I've loved watching your journey. It's been, it's been brilliant. Um, to wrap up, because we're 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 bang on an hour, but um, I don't feel like that's how I want to close it off. What what do you see for for next year for Marshall McAdam? What do you see for Australia um, next year? The economy, like, give us your kind of your viewpoint on that as we as we we come to yeah. the last month of this year. Um, yeah, good question. I think what what I'm already starting to see is is probably a shift 
in the sense uh, of when clients are coming to market, they their hires that they're trying to make are probably even more important to them than they were ever. Right. Uh, they know that they can't make a mistake. They've got to get the best person um, or they've got their shift in their own strategy. So <clears> maybe what they're hiring looks a bit different to what they hired previously and they need a bit more consultation. Um, one of the things that we've seen is a massive shift on the perm side is an increase in retained work, um, which seems strange when you think that there's uh, potentially less, less work going around. But um, I was actually looking at the stats today. Since March, I think we've taken on 20 retainers, but 13 of those since September. Wow. So it's a, it's a big shift. And what we're finding, I guess, is in that conversation with the client is they want more advice. They want more input around how to go to market and find the best people. I think there was this misconception early on in COVID that all these people, these all these talented people have been laid off and we're just sitting there on the job boards looking for their next opportunity and that the clients could have their, their kind of pick and they could interview 12 people for one role. And um, there was just a queue of people lining up for their jobs. And probably in some markets, I, I would guess in tourism and hospitality and retail, that, that may be the case. But certainly in some of the markets around technology that we've seen have only got stronger. Um, and every company is is you know looking for that digital <laughs> transfer. Well, not every company, so that's an exaggeration, but a lot of companies are looking and thinking about digital transformation. Uh, I read an article this week saying that the CIO will be the most powerful job in the organization for the next five years. Wow. Uh, it's the person tasked with transforming the organization, both in terms of their infrastructure, their, their go-to-market strategy around the way they engage with their, 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 their market. You know, I think one thing, um, and I again, interested to get your thoughts on this as well, Pete, but kind of e-commerce is still emerging here in Australia. Um, mm. Amazon only opened just over a year ago, what, 18 months ago in Australia. Wow. Uh, when I got here and there was no Amazon Australia, it blew my mind. Um, and I think I was reading a few weeks ago that uh, that that it, prior to COVID, I think something like eight, maybe nine percent of retail in Australia was done online. Um, and there was a goal by 2025 that that would get to sort of 15 percent plus. Uh, and through COVID, it's accelerated through that, uh, where people have had no choice, particularly with the retail uh, being shut in Melbourne for however many weeks it was, eight weeks, 10 weeks. Um, so I think that's what we're seeing. So again, I'm probably going off point a bit, but I think that technology and the investment in technology is going to be key. Uh, companies are going to be hiring skills that they've maybe not hired before and not thought about bringing into the organization before. So I think the role of the recruitment industry um, is a real chance to differentiate from the job boards for the first time. Uh, we're not competing in the sense of a client saying, well, I can come to you, or I can stick an ad up, or I can go out to yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe three or four agencies uh, and give everyone the brief, and then I'm going to get all these CVs back, and they've all got this big database. What we're finding is clients want a much more bespoke solution. They want to sit and really talk through the proposition, what they're trying to achieve, the kind of backgrounds and, and uh, skills that people potentially have got that they want to bring to the table, and equally, why they're an interesting organization to join. I think we're going to see a lot of risk-averse candidates uh, over the next sort of 12, 18 months. And I think I did a post on this, but, um, you know, anyone going into an interview, I think in the next couple of years should be asking companies, um, how did you manage your team through COVID? It's the real test of the culture. Uh, the proof's in the pudding, um, rather than companies kind of giving this hypothetical answer. But And then on the flip side, talking to the candidates, you know, what what did you do in the last 12 months? Took me through your journey. I think that 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 is probably there's only two questions that any interview is going to require for the next five years, and uh, you know let's discuss that. And it's gonna you're going to learn a lot more about the individual. So, I think um, I see a just a, a shift 
an opportunity, I suppose, to, to actually up, go up the value chain and with the services and the solutions. Um, and I hope that, you know, the clients that we're engaging with get the value now of engaging with one recruiter rather than going out to, to many. And that may mean that in some situations we miss out uh, because they, they choose to engage someone different to us. But I think I'd much rather be engaged with a client in a proper process where you're partnering up together. Um, and I've even been speaking to clients recently about going out and getting them a spread of profiles to help them shape the person description yeah, um, yeah. and coming back and putting them in front of them and saying, you've got you know, different ends of the spectrum or different industries and you know, let's collaborate. Um, and there's so much more openness to this. Uh, and I had one client even on Friday just saying, this is you know, this hire is my biggest headache, my biggest problem right now. You know, how can you help me through this process? Um, and all I'm thinking is the guide and the the, uh, the, the brand story. It's exactly oh, yeah. what's going through my head. Um, and maybe I'm more attuned to it because of the stuff that we did through Hoxo. Uh, so maybe it's not the market. It's just a different mindset that uh, or lens that I'm looking I'd say, through. I'd say you what you're saying I'm hearing over here as well. So um i would say you're, you're you're bang on point i think if you look at what's happened at, with debenhams and arcadia group this week in the uk going into administration um yeah. you know they were the probably two of the brands that didn't uh, shift five years ago to e-commerce at the pace that others did yeah uh, there's talk of boohoo misguided you know asos buying those stores turning them into like digital stores and um, I saw the Kamani brothers yesterday who own Boohoo driving Rolls Royce through Manchester. They did not look disappointed right now. They look, <laughs> they look fucking buzzing to be in a Rolls Royce. And, and they, they like stopped me in, in the road for me and my dog where they didn't need to. And I checked. I was like, wow. Um, I live, I live literally opposite their their office. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think you're seeing you're seeing some really interesting trends. I, I do think for the right for the right. With the, with creativity, with passion, with drive, um, there's there's plenty of opportunity next year. Um, guys, we're out of time. Um, Anton, I just want to say thank you. I, I'm sure. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. I've I've, I've loved li I've loved getting to know you anyway. But the I always find when in an hour's it, when we can dedicate that time to someone, you know, we learn a lot more. So thanks for being so open as well. Um, Pete, anything no you want to share? I'm just curious to know if the if the jigsaw actually got finished. Did it was it was it completed? Yeah, the, the picture was completed, Pete. You, you're not paying attention, mate. It's, oh, right. uh, the, it's been another one since. Has there? How many jigsaws? Do you know what? It, it was it was amazing. I've only done actually. I did three, but it was amazing. Um, the number of people that started sending me pictures of their jigsaws that they completed, and then sharing, "Oh, look at this one. It's it's really good. it's great. I loved it." Um, but it just opened up a whole different range of conversations but uh, but pete if you want to manage your stress mate jigsaws are the way forward when you you just need to tune out for five minutes you're not going to listen to a podcast read a book or watch tv and you just want to go and just get in the zone and try and find that one piece it's the competitiveness of the reward when you find that one piece you've been looking for um and your ability to just switch off from the rest of the world just for five minutes and walk away is uh it's magic it's a magic there moment there you have it cope with cope with the lockdown issues buy a jigsaw puzzle um <laughs> look thank you so much anton no doubt we'll have you back on again in the future um thanks yeah, Pete, again for for giving us your time as well um jump in that swimming pool mate and enjoy yourself tonight and, uh, i'll be doing the same but it is literally just the pond outside um guys thank you for listening as always really really appreciate um giving us your attention um hope you're enjoying this series that pete and i are putting together for you every single week on a thursday um next week as well um very very exciting we're back again 
on Tuesday. I'm with Scott Parsons, the, the managing director of Forsyth Barnes, one of the fastest growing recruitment companies in the UK, headquartered in Nottingham. This guy invested in his office, like ridiculous amount of money and investment. And then COVID hit. So it's really interesting. They've just moved back in. It looks like the shit, but you know, how is he hell? How the hell has he dealt with that? We're talking about that on Tuesday, two o'clock, two uh, thirty actually on Tuesday. We're a little bit late. And then next, um, next Thursday, Pete, who we got? Who we got lined Thursday, up? We've got Paul Donovan, who's the regional director for Victoria for Bluefin Resources. Good right. I actually don't know Paul. Never spoke to him, so I'm, uh, I'm very excited about this one. He's a he's a fellow Pom. Very high energy, glass half full. Got a uh, got got bluefin through in in fair fettle, so you'll have a good story. Love it, love it. Well, guys, if you've enjoyed listening today, if you feel like Anton's story has resonated, please do me one thing: just share it with another recruiter, another recruitment owner you know. Um, it, it it really is important to me and Pete that you know the more people listen to this, the more we can learn from each other, and we can get through this this random time we live in uh, in a much better light. I'll be back again on Tuesday at 2.30 on LinkedIn Live. Um, in the meantime, you stay safe. And we'll see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, we've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online and we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now we're managing the marketing force. That involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, we can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support, you build your marketing as a, as a supplier that acts as part of your team, or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.